0: Hello and welcome to GovConnect, where we sit down with local government innovation experts to bring you insightful stories and advice on technology, best practices, and the latest trends. And here's our host, Andrew Kirk. Hey everybody, welcome to GovConnect. I'm Andrew Kirk from City Sourced, and I'm really pleased and honored to have Steve Ressler. Most of you probably know him as the founder of GovLoop. He's done um, a lot of amazing stuff since, and we're going to really get into that. But thanks so much for being with us, Steve. For those of us that don't know you, could you give us a little bit about who you are, your background, what brought you to where you are today? Awesome. Well, uh,
1: first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you know, one of my passions is GovTech. I, I joke I was a little bit born to do this. I'm mm-hmm. a third-generation government employee on my dad's side and third-generation entrepreneur on my mom's side. So I feel like, uh, you know, birth to do kind of public sector entrepreneurship. Had a fun run so far. Looking forward to doing more awesome things. I was an IRS brat, which is not cool. Uh, military brat's cool. My dad worked for Internal Revenue Service. Moved a bunch growing up. Ended up uh, in Ohio for high school. Went to Miami of Ohio for undergrad and University of Pennsylvania for grad school. During grad school, I got a hom- Homeland Security Scholarship. I so was studying Social Network na- Analysis and Terrorism which uh, got me interested in, in serving uh, serving our country. So after my master's, I went and worked in Homeland Security for about six years in a few different technology roles at the Inspector General Office, as well as Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So that was super fun, but uh, a little bit in the belly of the beast in the 200,000-person Homeland Security and, and learning how to navigate. I uh, was able to do one of my projects, one of the first cloud project in 2008, uh, which was pretty early. And then uh, during that time, me and a friend started a happy hour for young federal employees. There's not many of them, but that grew from two to ten to 100, and actually became a national nonprofit called Young Government Leaders, which now is 10 chapters, 10,000 members, kind of the young lawyers or young bankers for young government uh, professionals. So that got me into my first passion, which is really about connecting folks in public service. Which I guess your listeners would know. The beauty about government is we're all on the same team. So if you're at City of Cincinnati, I'm at State of Ohio, or EPA, we're willing to connect and learn from each other, which is different than other industries. You know, if you're, you're in tech and you're at Amazon, I'm in Google and you're at Facebook, we, we don't share. We're kind of mortal enemies, government we're on the same team. So uh, that led me to launch GovLoop, an online community for government employees, which we can talk about that eventually got uh, acquired by a software company, GovDelivery, where an executive on that team threw his acquisition uh, by Kiss, And now I'm at an awesome back to the startup game, a law enforcement SaaS startup called Collier. Let's fast forward.
0: Happy to dig in on any of that. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that background. One really interesting thing I thought that you brought up that I've seen a lot, even in the technology space, is this idea that if you have a, a passion, just start a meetup. It's amazing how many companies, side projects or side hustles, if you have a passion for it and you live in a somewhat decent sized metro, there's probably other people out there who want to meet and drink a beer and hang out with you and chat about it. And so I think that's a really cool way that you started something. It's hard to believe now in the current era when social media so just Pervasive in everything we do, but back then it probably wasn't an obvious first step. So for people today, and they're thinking about you know what's the next innovation, what's the next thing that's going to come about? What were the signals, or what were you seeing that said, hey, I need to make this a formal digital online group and start GovLoop as something kind of official?
1: And it really wasn't like I created it out of uh, out of out of fairy dust. It really, <laughs> really was a couple of different signals through through the Young Government Leaders group, I actually. Besides being the founder, I was also did all our technology. So ran our website or email list, but I also ran our MySpace group when that was cool. And our LinkedIn group through that, I basically kind of saw two trends. So one was always kind of interested in social media, saw that growing rapidly. I saw the problems with just being a small presence on a broader platform. MySpace, now Facebook, do you really want to connect and talk about work? about government, why you're on MySpace or Facebook, the answer is usually not. LinkedIn, you know, groups, why they make sense, they've never really mastered it. So I would make sense that LinkedIn groups would be popular. I could never really get them to work. My folk, folks I knew never could. They really focus so much really on the profile, which is then used for recruiting. For my own personal sense, I had that feeling. And then at, at the macro trends, I was following a couple of things. Happened. Uh, one, I saw a company called CIRMA, which was a social network for doctors launch. And then I saw Mark Andreessen, who's a famous venture capitalist, founder of Netscape. He launched a company called Ning.com right around that time, which lets you create your own social network for basically 50 bucks a month. So I saw myself, hey, through young government leaders, I know there's a need. I know the technology of just being a subgroup wasn't effective. And then I saw, hey, to create my own social network, I don't need to hire 10 developers. There's software I can leverage. So those were kind of the, the three that put it together that really got the idea from, hey, an idea to, hey, let's actually do
0: this. That's awesome. So I know one thing, and this I think is pretty universal, whether you're a civic tech company trying to find an audience or even in your local government, you're trying to get attention and get people's eyeballs. What did you do early on that made GovLoop really successful at just getting people interested, signing up and really building out that network?
1: I, I get that question a lot, and, and unfortunately, my my first answer is there's no secret sauce. So I think that actually, audience is really the hardest part for any company or government agency with a with a new service. So I find too often people don't spend enough of time and attention of how to get the word out. Kind of tactically, a couple of things we did. So one, you know, I had a decent amount of network through young government leaders, and we launched, and we. Promoted it everywhere we could and got, had some good news articles. I think we had a, a a catchy pitch at the time. You know, face it was called kind of the Facebook for government was my line, which I think people need a 30-second elevator pitch. You know, an online community for public servant isn't too <laughs> long Facebook for government. Uh, it was a catchy article. I did a ton of blocking and tackling in the beginning. of. I had a day job 9 to 5. This was, I joked, my 5 to 9. And I would personally welcome every new member I would, you know, on my own dime, bought some stickers that I would mail out stickers and lanyards to, you know, new members. I created a a volunteer group called community leaders that people could apply for that. then now I had a volunteer army that welcoming new members. So uh, making it have a buzz, giving folks a lot of love, and then Making people feel like they're a part of the journey, right? So, you know, we would celebrate every milestone. We'd have catchy t- taglines like, you know, government doesn't suck, not your father's bureaucrats. So it just kind of made it part of a, a fun journey that you're part of something bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I think a couple things to pull out that's interesting. You know, like you said, one, people are going to be a little disappointed. There wasn't some magic sauce or you figured out some hack to Facebook ads to draw a lot of people in. You had to kind of just build it like a snowball effect. And the other one that was really interesting was that you had this passion for that local young group and you had a little bit, however big or small you want to think about it as a platform of people that were already interested and you had a genuine interest. And I'm sure you didn't start that to say, oh, I'm going to start a, a technology company that I can eventually get acquired. You said, hey, I have a real passion here. How can I use that for the next level? So as you're, you know, building that organically and you said, you know, you're five to nine, when did you have that kind of aha moment that this is more than a really great after hours project that I'm building that, wow, this could actually be something much larger?
1: A couple of different things just along the way, so it's you know you've seen this with building a company there there's never one big one, there's just a bunch of little ones and I would say you know early on it was I think the twentieth member was not someone I knew, <laughs> which was great the the hundredth member was uh You know, someone, you know, like a CIO of a big state agency, which was amazing. You know, three months in, someone reached out to me and said, hey, how can I advertise? And I couldn't accept any advertisement because I had a day job. Um, You know, we we had a big article in the Washington Post. So really, I'd say over that first year, there was just a lot of buzz that kind of, it went pretty fast. So I always tell people my, my experience, and we, we launched May 2008 and got uh, acquired, uh, I forget the exact date, but October nine. So really eighteen, fifteen, eighteen 15, 18 months, which is just, uh, you know, certainly fast and, and never happens. It never happens. Um, we hit on a, a time in the moment where Obama had just been elected. There was a lot of buzz out of Obama of, uh, New uh, new rise of digital government the use of social media. We really hit a chord with government employees, I think, who are looking for something fresh, dynamic, way to connect. And then, you know, as you said, it was just my passion and interest. I spent, you know, a number of years with young government leaders solving similar problems. And I, uh, all those three factors came together and it just kind of took off pretty quick with a lot of hard work.
0: That's pretty incredible story. I think uh, it's interesting to hear just takes a lot of hard work and less than 18 months acquisition. So people can, (laughs) they can gleam whatever gem they want from that of, you know, how long the process may or may not be. So fast forward to that 18-month period. And I think a lot of people, especially if they're on the builder side, they're thinking about acquisition. But even people in the public sector are using more and more tools. They're trying new things. And whether they realize it or not, in the back of their head is probably always what will happen to this company, You know, whether it's a, from a support perspective or Yes, they're young and new. Do they have the resources long-term? Like, How do you, as the person that created and built that company, how did you think about that acquisition process? And was it a, a given? How did you go through and kind of go through the analysis about what was best for GovLoop? about
1: a year into to it, I realized basically it was unsustainable as a, as a part-time hobby, right? Okay. So it was it was growing fast. There was a lot of demands on the technical side. There was a lot of demands on the community building side. And just, I realized hey, I can't do this and have a day job, right? So it's hard to do both. So for me, and I, and I had a big vision, you know, at the time it was 10,000 members. You know, I thought there's a huge opportunity to scale, which we eventually did. We're over a quarter million members now. And for me, it was like, you know, how do I scale this idea to accomplish what, you know, I thought we thought we could. Uh-huh. The side note to, the, to that that feeling was on young government leaders, we were all volunteers. And still to this day, we're all volunteers. I had some kind of reflection that an all-volunteer approach just doesn't fully work long term. There's some pros to it, but it's hard to truly scale without full-time resources dedicated to doing something better. So it was really like a year in. I thought that was kind of my core feeling. I was basically deciding, you know, kind of three options. One, you know, quit my job and just just run it, bootstrap it myself, figure it out. Uh, option two, raise a little bit of capital for it. Honestly, I've never I never raised money at the time. Didn't know much about it, so that option felt pretty far away from the reality at that time. And then three, you know, luckily enough, I had a ton of uh, inbound interest from folks wanting to, you know, partner. Some of those partner conversations turned into more of a full-time, like, hey, what if we actually you know, acquired you? We gave you more resources. And randomly met this guy, uh, Scott Burns, who was the founder of Gov Delivery. We both won the Fed 100 Award the same year. We're at a couple of the same events. Uh, he's a, Med, a Dartmouth-McKinsey Midwestern guy. I'm from the Midwest. We got along, and I think it was at one of the events, the fourth beer in, I was like, hey, you're you're a smart business guy in government. I'm really trying to figure out what to do with this got a couple of these offered, I'm still figuring out what to do. And uh, he gave me some advice and said, let me think on this and, and call you on Monday. And uh, long story short, he gave me a, a great uh, opportunity where they, they had owned a couple other subsidiaries that they let run pretty independently. And he said, hey, why don't, why don't I know what you're doing is important because of my experience in government. Why don't we uh, give you an opportunity to give you some resources to really grow that vision and then he said, I'm building a, a growing government SaaS company. and I need smart, good people helping to grow that too. So joining the journey, I'll help you uh, support growing your vision and then help me on the broader vision. And that was, I would say, one of the best decisions I ever made. You know, half a life is people. And Scott uh, was a great mentor to me. He's still a good buddy. I talked to probably once a week.
0: Some really good nuggets in there. I'd like to peel back and and piece apart. One, I think it's really interesting, and especially in today's era where you know Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, a lot of people want to be perceived immediately as the expert, and so they may kind of play that up a little bit. And maybe it's I'm also Midwest upbringing, so. It was interesting that you were fairly blunt with Scott and said, listen, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. You know, what kind of gave you the, I guess, either the confidence or the naivete to say, go to this person and say, hey, I don't really know what's, what's going on and feel comfortable that that would lead to a good outcome.
1: That specific one, I would say I love learning. So, you know, I think I was consuming a ton of information at the time, reading books, reading articles. And then um, the last piece, I've just found people are really receptive you know, when, you, when you go to them for advice. But during that process, Scott, Scott was super helpful, but there were like 10 to 15 other you know, successful entrepreneurs that I didn't know. But through friends of friends where I said, hey, I'm looking for help trying to figure out what to do here, that people would grab coffee, answer an email. I just always encourage folks. People, people are generally, uh, I always assume the best thing. People want to help.
0: They, they want to give back. And I've been very fortunate with that. That's awesome. So one thing, you know, kind of the flip side of that coin, I guess, is there's a lot of either young entrepreneurs looking at civic tech. It's a significantly growing industry, but there's also a lot of CIOs, innovation officers that are trying to find perhaps that next new tool or that next entrepreneur. There's not as much background through the normal procurement process, right? You can't ask them what is your, you know, five-year audited financials or what procurement hurdles have you gone through already? So, you know, I'm kind of looking maybe for some red flags that they could potentially look at, like what were for you personally at GovLoop, what was the biggest mistake that you made and wish you could have avoided and would have saved you either a lot of headache or money or potentially even time?
1: Maybe I'll answer it kind of two ways. So I think one is the the question for what CIOs to look for and the ones Mm -hmm. my own mistakes. You know, I think if, uh, and I was, I worked in the IT shop, I was an IT program manager. I think when buying technology, I look for technology that is getting better. Technology is a market where you want to buy a technology that's getting better. And you know, you don't want one that's kind of end of life and was the best of its breed 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also don't want that a day in that you don't think is going to get better. So I look for, is, is it a good, is it a good team? You know, is there, are there any signs that there, this, this group has a track record of success? Whether that's they've been at previous companies that are interesting before, they have a couple of early customers that's really interesting. Maybe they actually have the product already built so you can see it and feel it. Uh, maybe they're they have on their board or the investors some quality folks so I look I love looking at software that's basically getting better and buying a winner in the space so for me personally I'd rather buy um, you know a couple years ago I was on a a team to decide you know should we buy uh, slack as an internal collaboration tool or I won't name names but you know some other technology that has a collaboration tool that's one piece of their big puzzle. And I said, hey, no, Slack's winning. You know, It's getting better every day. The product's growing. They've raised some good capital. I think it's going to be a winner in the space. Same with Box or Dropbox and the collaboration suite. So I'd look for technology that's growing and getting better. So that's the answer one. My own mistakes, I'd say the simplest one that I that I would recommend folks, and it's still hard for me, is I think I try to do too many things. So I think that's that's the simplest if you're an entrepreneur, you're very creative. You have lots of different ideas. And early on, you you often have a small team. So I think we I made a little bit too many bets. So, you know, early on we had we had blogs, we had discussion boards, we ended up creating a job board, we had an online directory of businesses, we had a per diem calculator, we had twelve things. And I think we actually stripped away a few of those and, and doubled down on the things that working and, and that kind of a, a classic 80 20 rule where 80 percent of the values and then 20 percent of features and, and double down on those
0: and then did you start measuring the things specifically to make those decisions was it anecdotal was it your gut as the as the, the guy the creator of of this platform how did you go about that process of kind of trimming down
1: yeah it's a couple of things ago you know, what was neat is early on we brought in a, a team that was really great so um a guy, Doug Mashkur, was our first hire on the business side. Now he actually runs GovLoop day to day. We hired uh, Andy Kersmarzik, who ran the community side. Now he's uh, he's over at Amazon, but had numerous roles at Granicus. And then Megan Dotson, who was our uh, event and uh, account manager. So what well, was nice early on, we a core solid team that we did a mix of quantitative. You know, a lot of Google Analytics, a lot of a lot of data. On what works. Uh, and say folks that also knew the market. So Doug had spent a lot of time at Federal Computer Week, Andy at uh, USDA grad school, a big government trainer. Megan at ACT-IAC, a big IT association for federal. So I think a little mix of the quantitative, a little bit of the market knowledge, and then you know a little bit of uh, you know AB testing, testing things over time, and then um, starting to build a, build in a cadence of we use quarterly cadences and really hey we made that bet didn't work time to, to move on.
0: Cool. So one thing, and maybe this is intentional, but I'm in, I'm embarrassed to admit that at City Sourced and even my own personal account in the early twenty tens when we started contributing to GovLoop, I had no idea actually that it was no longer independent. So I guess you guys did such a good job of of kind of keeping the GovLoop name, the branding, the look, the feel. Was that intentional? Was that something that you drove? Or was the delivery team kind of smart enough to say, let's just not mess up a good thing? How did that play out post-acquisition? Going in, that was something that was important
1: to both of us was GovLoop really kind of serve as an independent brand. Uh, for it to work, it couldn't be seen as just like, hey, this is a marketing engine for GovDelivery. It had to be a true independent, you know, kind of organization, just in the same way, you know, TechCrunch is owned by AOL, you know, uh, which is now owned by Verizon, uh, keeping some independence. So that that was something we worked really hard on, and I think we did a great job. And we, uh, you know, kudos to Scott and the GovDelivery team. We're always great on on respecting the line and went along well on that journey. We collaborated where it made sense, and. You know, over time you know at the beginning my main job was basically president GM of govloop and then over time I took on additional roles at gov delivery was able to help the gov delivery team grow as well
0: so one thing I think that's interesting and anybody that's connected or follows you on LinkedIn knows this is that you have this passion for the finance, VC, private equity side of things. You're not just the social network guy in government. There's a lot of that kind of rigorous background. And one thing I think that's really interesting for our listeners, if they're on the private side or potentially you know, on the procurement side from the public sector, is we've seen a lot in the GovTech space, more and more money coming in, more M&A activity. And sometimes that's been great and seamless, like we've seen with GovLoop. And in others, it seems like, just as in the private, sector that's just not a good fit. But the penalty seems to be a little bit bigger in whereas the private sector, if they have a software that they use that gets acquired, they don't like it, they can move fast and procure something else. So there's a little bit more kind of risk reward, I guess, for your typical CIO who's buying a company that could be acquired. In your view, what do you think are the things that have worked really well? What's the role of, of private equity in GovTech? And I guess, how should somebody evaluate a company that's a potential acquisition down the road? How do you think about that?
1: It's funny, you know, kinda of go back to, to seven years earlier when I was like, Hey, I have this idea, you know, what's the the best way to, to give it resources to grow? I think for a company, right, there's a lot of ways to grow. There's uh there's definitely the model where you, you kinda of bootstrap the business, you know, yourself and your mm-hmm. Self-funded, customers pay, and you grow that way. And there's great examples in our space like that. So Civic Plus, based out in Manhattan, Kansas, mm-hmm. single owner, 20 years old. He's kind of the mayor of Manhattan, Kansas. Is a great example of building that way. Esri, you know, as you know, I think a great partner, Jack and his wife own all of Esri. They built a billion-dollar-plus company. Kind of bootstrapping in the old-fashioned way that's a great way to do it kind of downside is it's hard to invest ahead right so you, it's hard to invest in features and functionality for your customers if they're not paying you ahead of time for it. So can you're moving a little bit slower. Different other ways to, to kind of get you the, the capital to grow faster would be, you know, venture capitalists. The, the venture world is really about, you know, how do we, if we're a car, you know, if bootstrapping, you're going 25 miles at a 25 mile speed limit, uh, but you'll definitely be safe. Venture's kind of going 80 and, you know, in a, in a 55. And uh, I think there's opportunity markets for that, right? So there's times definitely where that can work. You, you're really kind of expecting a big change to happen. You're building ahead of time um, you know there's great examples like that uh, a friend of her friend helped build venmo to great scale now it, ubiquitous but you know lost a lot of money in the process facebook lost a lot of money until it started i think in government that's kind of hard right to raise a ton of money and go super fast government's less willing to take big knowledge so it needs to be proven out more i think private equity is a little bit in the middle uh, a lot of private equity is about investing in technologies and assets that are proven you know that have customers that maybe are under-optimized, whether they you know haven't had the resources to grow different parts of the team. And what's interesting is there's a lot of lot of interest in the space now. So you have like, you know, Code Capital, done some work with Cartograph. You have Sorrent Capital that done some work with uh, Pondera. You have Vista Equity, which has been a great partner of Kiss. So there's more and more interest in the public sector space. Uh, you have uh, Insight owns uh, in and law enforcement space. So there's more and more interest in, in that space. I think if you know, as a CIO, I think with any vendor you have, you know, whether it's uh, a small piece of software that's maybe owned by a big conglomerate like Oracle, you you know, you'd want to know is the company investing in this product is what I would be betting on and, and want to know. So I'd want to know more about kind of the company roadmap, how they're investing in the technology to make it better and better serve uh, your organization. So I think they're just kind of different uh, resources and different roadmap with different with different pros and cons that I've seen
0: along the way. But happy to dive in on any of that. So do you think, you know, quick, I guess, kind of putting your forecasting hat on, do you see more civic tech companies bootstrapping, building those Jack Dangerman, Esri style, maybe not that big because they're amazing, but building really good, solid, successful businesses? Do you see more private equity roll up or I guess potentially both? You know, if you were looking forward, where do you see the market going? I
1: I see a little bit of both of those too. You know, it be interesting how the venture side works. You know, I think uh, Socrate and OpenGov are kind of the two biggest that have raised the most in our, in our space, and Mark 43 in law enforcement. You know, interesting how they play out. Ron has a great fund called GovTech Fund that's doing venture. But if I was a betting man, I'd see probably more of the growth in the kind of private equity and bootstrapping. And then I would kind of see venture as the best space where you're betting on big bets, if that makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mark Forty Three case makes a lot of sense for me because for folks that don't know in law enforcement the big system of record is called CAD RMS and it's your workflow all your data is in the system it's a million dollar a year system and there's five major players that you know are ten to twenty years old the the Mark Forty Three bet is uh, what if you started from scratch today and built it cloud first and mobile first uh, with a world class team starting with a couple uh, Harvard co founders and to me that's a that makes sense because it's uh it 's a compelling enough problem that, if it works it could be huge you know and if it doesn't that 's kind of how ventures built right you know if uh, you 're really looking for the the ten percent of your in- of your portfolio to, to make up most of the fund
0: returns looking forward from today actually when we 're recording this, you had a pretty significant public announcement that was made today, and you'll have to i i won 't do it justice and we'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes, but you 'll have to describe for the audience this uh the announcement that was put out today. I definitely haven't seen anything like it. And the announcement we're referring to is your new role at Calio. But I haven't seen anything like it in Civic or GovTech for sure. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this, broadly speaking. So like I said, we'll link to it. But describe today kind of the announcement, um, your new role, but then even give us a little insight into how your team decided to make that public announcement.
1: Awesome. No, it's, uh, it's been fun. Uh, so Calio, for folks that don't know, is uh, it's a mobile law enforcement cloud software, a company about six years old that was founded by one of my good friends, Chris Bennett, uh, who I've known for a while. He had a, a previous actually GovTech startup called GovLive, which sounds like GovLoop. And that's how we met and became best friends. He was at my wedding and different things. And so I always helped him and uh, was on the board for a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's probably one of the best product people I've ever met, you know, 30 plus patents, one major hackathons. And so when he, uh, you know, encouraged me to join and as president to run sales, marketing and finance, while he focuses more time on building uh, more product for our, our awesome customers, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up to kind of get back at the early stage. You know, it's kind of fun too. It's, you know, 25 people, awesome team we bat a little bit higher than the, than our small team so we have a, you know a thousand plus paying customers ten thousand plus agencies use our platform hundred thousand plus uh, law enforcement users we're one of the largest on aws public sector cloud gov cloud so it's a, an awesome opportunity and then i think you're laughing uh hopefully i'm not like jinxing my own self uh, about our announcement our, our great head of culture janet commissioned, uh, a rap video or rap, not video. So not rap song announcing the announcement, uh, of the roles. So, uh, she put a good prank on it. We thought it was, uh, funny enough to share publicly. So you'll have to find that on SoundCloud.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll link to that in the show notes. I think it's the coolest announcement I've ever seen. You're gonna have every every new executive at a GovTech is gonna be jealous that it can't be it can't be topped. And I think it's really cool. A lot of the stuff you resonated hits with me at City Source. So I wasn't on the original team but came in before the series A. And we have a product technical chief architect type of founder who still leads the company today, Jason Kiesel, and did a great job finding a product market fit. And then I was able to, to step in at a really nice time to grow the company and continue to take on that leadership role. And really what is fun for us is we've always we've done the same thing, kind of keeping a small team, really focus on product. We just announced this spring actually a services partners that do services day in day out. And that's not the world that we really know or want to tackle and really be a SaaS and be a product based company. So I think there's a lot of similarities and it really, um, it's a great model when it when it works. Kudos to you on the new role. So, Steve, kind of wrapping up here, we have kind of a rapid fire questions that love to throw at you, and then we'll let you tell people where they can find you as well. So, you know, city sourced, we're all about mobile city hall. We believe, believe that there should be a single point of contact that cities and counties should use on their smartphone to push out services to their citizens from service requests to paying the parking meter to taking their kid and checking into the swimming class at the parks and rec pool. What I'd like to know from you is what type of smartphone do you own? iPhone. iPhone. Okay. And what is your favorite app and why? Oh,
1: looking at my home screen, I would say I'm a kind of
0: ferocious reader. So Mm -hmm. Feedly
1: is a, a big one addicted to Slack, uh, internally. And then, um, Third is Overcast for my podcast. And fourth is uh, Yahoo Finance because I'm secretly, as you said, a a finance nerd.
0: Nice. Look at that. Ask for one, get four. He's an overachiever for sure. So, And last question for Broadly, you said you're a technology guy. You got in, you figured out, you've done IT roles. What is a either software tool or other kind of digital hack that you – really like right now you're using a lot it brings you a lot of productivity and efficiency in in the work you do and it may even just be one of those tools that you mentioned or perhaps something else you can share with the group i guess a couple ones
1: would be you know my my actual uh kind of to-do list is not fancy but uh, i feel like i've i've got it working for me so i'm big on i just keep a a, a google doc called wrestler's to-do list and i have quarterly goals weekly goals and and task. And that's kind of my Bible that I keep updating, look at every day. And then if I have a new thing and maybe I'm on my phone, I don't want to open it. I'll email myself the task to do. And that's been pretty effective from a to-do standpoint that I really like. And then actually with a colleague, I've been in the new, new system mode. So I've been really enjoying moving to uh certify as our like a travel system. And I I can email my receipts to like a email and it magically goes in and it all works, which sounds silly, but if you travel, it's it's worth some time.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I like the using Google as your simple. I've used every time a new to-do tool comes out on Product Hunt, like I wanna try it, I wanna dive in there. And I've just this year come around today. It, it's like, if I keep the most simple, basic text style list, one, it's consistent. And two, I'll just go back to it and write it down and be really simple. easy. So love that. Well, listen, Steve, I want to give you a big, big, big thanks. I really appreciate you being on the show. You bring uh, this incredible amount of experience through starting GovLoop, through acquisitions. You're too young for, for me to, to anoint you the an elder statesman in GovTech, but <laughs> with 10 plus years, you're on your way there. So really appreciate it. If you could tell our audience where they can find you and where they can connect with you online.
1: Find me on LinkedIn. It's just Steve Wrestler. I post a lot there. And then on, on Twitter, it's uh, Steve Wrestler.
0: Thanks for listening to GovConnect. Please make sure you subscribe. And don't forget, we need you to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best in local government innovation.